Well, hiya, kids. This is the Planet LP Podcast. I'm Ted Asfragati, and I'm really happy that you found us in a sea of podcasts. If you're a longtime listener, you know that for over a year now, we've partnered with the music and pop cultural website known as Popdose to feature new music each month on the Popdose New Music Report with Keith Creighton. This month is no different from last month or the month before or before that. Keith is standing by to talk about this month's new releases and riff a bit on the MTV Video Music Awards that recently aired. The age of social media is changing, but we're still riding the wave. Connect with us on Threads, Instagram, X, and Facebook. I'm also on YouTube. Just look for me by searching for my name, Ted Asrogadu, to connect with me by email. That's pretty easy. I'm a Ted at planetlp.com. I noted at the outset that there's a sea of podcasts out there, and that means it can be a bit of a challenge to stand out, and that's why I'd like to ask you to help promote Planet LP by simply recommending it to friends, family, co-workers, or acquaintances who are music fans. We're on all the usual podcasting apps from Amazon to Apple to Spotify to iHeartMedia, or if you're not into apps, you can listen to any episode on our website at planetlp.com. It's a packed show, so let's get it started. Well, hi, 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 Keith, and welcome back to the pod. Ted, it's good to be here, and I'm not going to oversell it, but this is probably going to be the greatest batch of music we have ever talked about. Wow. Okay, we better live up to it. Okay, do you think we could do it 18 or so albums in the next 60 minutes? Man, maybe, maybe, maybe. But I think, as I said at the outset, we kind of have to talk a little bit about the MTV Music Video Awards, not just for what they were, but how we perceive them. Now, again, folks, if you are new to the podcast, Keith and I are Gen Xers. This whole generations thing is a lot like, you know, astrological signs. I know it means that we have certain characteristics, but I'm just saying that we come from a certain perspective because we were born at a certain time. So when we watch something on television that's music oriented, but it's not focused on a generation that we're a part of, but focused maybe on a younger generation, we have our reactions to it. So that's sort of teeing it up. But I think that we can start this segment by talking about video music awards. So you go first, Keith. What were your what were your takeaways? I think it was actually maybe even a year ago. We talked about some research that, you know, had trended about what forms someone's musical taste, especially Mm -hmm. when they're in their primary years of like, you know, 11 to 15 or so when they're really forming the neural connections that then resonate with the kind of music that they're going to like for the rest of their life. It's one of those things where as I was watching the MTV Video Music Awards this year, I was like, oh my God, I'm old. Like, I remember my parents from the Eisenhower generation coming down to the living room, Mm -hmm. you know, where we're sitting there all nestled into the shag carpeting watching MTV in like 1983. And they're like, what is this crap you guys are watching? (laughs) And so it was definitely during the bongos, you know, with Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion and all these booties are flying in the air like so fast. And, you know, the sensory overload of all the lights and, you know, listening to the music and all the auto-tuned and lip-synced performances throughout Mm -hmm. the entire show, actually. I'm going, wow. Yeah, this really is not for me. But then realizing, and that's good. You know, you know what? It's time for this generation to take what they like and run with it. You know, so here's the thing. I marveled. I really did appreciate the fact that, wow, look at, you know, music from Korea, Brazil and Latin America are now in the American mainstream, meaning stadium level acts. Hip hop now 50 years old is still dominates the culture. And I'm like, okay, that's pretty awesome. It's yours. Go enjoy it. And what I was doing was kind of giving myself the freedom to not have to really stay up on it. I buy some of it. You know, there's actually a lot of young artists that we're going to talk about in today's show, you know, that have new art albums out. But you'll notice when we're talking about it, their vocal choice, their, their rhythms and harmonies and all that kind of stuff resonate with the kind of stuff that I liked back in the day. You know, mm-hmm. they kind of form my taste. You know, I like verse, chorus, verse earworm hooks, good bridges, you know, that kind of stuff and and lyrics that I could kind of really connect with, you know, so there's lots of young artists that we're going to talk about today that kind of do that. 
As I was watching Bongo, so I'm like, oh my God, I'm the dad and Twisted Sisters. We're not going to take it. What are you going to do with your life? With your life. You know, because you know, it's kind of like, is this really what passes as, you know, pop culture? But I'm like, okay, I'm not going to pass judgment, you know, because the thing is, when you look at it, I, as much as I would like to, you know, come off and pass judgment on it, I'm like, I remember we were raised on like dog police and cop rock, you know, remember dog police, that MTV video from back in the day. I do not. I know you gave me the link and I looked at it. Oh and I'm like, God. I don't remember this. I really yeah. don't. I mean, I just it's on YouTube. Anyone yeah. listening to this, go watch dog police. It was in <laughs> heavy rotation on MTV back in the day. I'm like, okay, we liked our stuff too. That was questionable. Right. Like that was Tuesday of this week. And then on Friday, look at all the trouble that Jan Wenner from Rolling Stone got into. I know. You know? I know. Yeah. 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 You were talking about bongos just for a second and you've made the analogy to the twisted sister video and how you're now the dad. What do you want to do with your life? And instead of saying, I want to rock, it'll be like, I want to twerk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh my God. But it's, it's one of those things where, you know, where I realized, okay, you know, you could actually still stay in your lane with what you like and what brings meaning to you without passing judgment on other music. And I think mm-hmm. where Jan Wenner got into trouble was he was passing judgment. You know, he was saying, no, black artists and women artists can't speak at the intellectual level that I want to. Mm-hmm. which is ridiculous. He yeah. should have just basically said, here is a book of my interviews with my favorite artists. Like, so imagine if he had called the book, my favorites, mm-hmm. or my heroes, instead of masters, because masters is saying best of the best of the genre, you know, and it really is saying these guys are better than everyone else. Versus if he just said my favorites, I mean, Richard Blade puts out several interview, these interview books, and he just basically says, these are my favorite people. You know, mm-hmm. and then no one's passing judgment on Richard Blade. So I could see where Jan got in a little bit of trouble there. He did. And and I just saw that it popped up that he, he issued a, an apology and tried to say, look, hey, poor choice of words. The way it came out obviously was insensitive. I accept any consequences, which I thought was okay. Right. I mean, he's like, okay, so the consequences are there. But I, I also look at Jan Wenner as, I mean, his history, right? So he was a student at UC Berkeley during the free speech movement. Uh, he participated in it. And, and granted, saying you participated in the free speech movement means you were there with thousands of people. So it's not like he was just one of a handful, small group of people. Jan Wenner was a columnist for the Daily Californian. That's the student newspaper at UC Berkeley. He wrote a column called Something's Happening. He dropped out a year later after after 1966. He went over to the Ramparts uh, magazine. Ramparts was like a lefty alternative newspaper that was like very muckrakey type thing. He worked for them for a time and then he started Rolling Stone with a loan of $7,500. In that time, he met a lot of people who were instrumental in helping to form Rolling Stone. One is Grail Marcus, the music critic. So he was with a lot of like-minded people. And I think that that era of the free speech movement, which later became sort of a new lefty movement, was horribly sexist in that it was largely driven by white males white males thinking that they had the answers to solve society's problems. And the women who were involved in the movement were there to, you know, be the secretaries and get them coffee and and do and let let the important work be for the men. So you look at Wenner and what formed his musical tastes. And it's a lot like with every generation, what forms your musical tastes? When did you, between the ages of 11 and 15 or between the ages of 11 and 25, and you have this sort of openness to everything that's going on around you. And you're like, I like this, I like that. And these are what you decide are the best of the best or the masters. So when are kind of like framed by that Period. Of course, he puts in people like Springsteen and Bono, who came on the scene a little bit later. But if you notice, yes, they are all white men. And the white men speak to him, possibly because he's a white guy. And he was framed by this period of time. So I think you're right, Keith, in that he should have just said, these are my favorites. These are artists who speak to me. And these are the things that have resonated with me through the course of my life. And I'm going to write about why, or I'm going to interview these people and tell you why their music has meant so much to me and has really affected me in a profound way. 
that would have not been controversial at all, right? But then you start saying, yeah. oh, yeah, 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 women, they're not that articulate, and neither are blacks. And, uh, you know, what, Stevie yeah. Wonder, you know, Otis Redding, sure, Marvin Gaye, I guess, I don't know, but can they rise to the level of the philosopher of rock? When he said that, I'm thinking, okay, if you you guys have really drunk your own Kool-Aid, you mm-hmm. know, it's like anyone that's going to equate rock and roll to great philosophy, I think is overthinking it to some degree. Yeah. And he had some yeah. good points. You know, there's some rock stars that are probably really lousy interviews. I mean, I've oh, had a couple. Sure, yeah. One of my favorite all-time new wave artists who was a white man gave me the worst interview in the history of, you know, my experience <laughs> doing this. And so, yeah, I could not imagine this guy philosophizing on anything, but you made a really good point about the way they could have positioned it and he wouldn't have gotten into trouble. I used to be into drumming, took lessons and things like that, but I, I went like very deep into the world of drumming and I really got into a lot of the early funk stuff, mostly um, James Brown's drummer. Well, he had two of them, Clyde Stubblefield and Jabbo Starks. And they came up with those beats that are sort of iconic for not only James Brown's music, but hip hop. Those funk beats are sort of the roots of hip hop beats that that got thrown down early on. And so I have this video of Jabbo Starks and Clyde Stubblefield. The, the interviewer is asking them all these sort of like these questions about where does this come from? And, and I love their answer. They're all like, yeah, I'm not one of those drummers that sits around and talks about um, the mechanics of drumming. I just feel it, man. I just yeah. hear something and it just it just gets. And so I can't really articulate it beyond that. It's a feel. I get a feel for it. And then suddenly I'm behind my kit and I start to lay down a groove and somebody says, that's, that's it. That's it. So then I just go with it. Look at Mick Jagger, who is quoted and is a major figure in this, in the John Winter interview. Look at the classic song. I know it's only rock and roll and I like it. Like mm-hmm. you don't have to overthink it. And it was really interesting that Jan Wenner tipped his hat about how he overrode the editorial board to give a Mick Jagger solo album a five-star review, yeah. you know, because he liked it and he likes Mick. The the, ba- the board had given it a four-star review, you know, and kudos to them because I guess worldwide it was getting, you know, one and two-star reviews. <laughs> and so I definitely think it's important for editors not to follow the herd. I'm like, okay, if everyone else hates this album, we're going to have to hate it too. So good for Rolling Stone on giving it a four-star review. But it always made me wonder because throughout my 20-plus year subscription to the magazine, everything by Bob Dylan got five stars. Like mm-hmm, anything mm-hmm. that he crapped and farted got five stars because they're like, he's the most important person in the world. Mm-hmm, same thing with Springsteen, mm-hmm. same thing yep. with Petty, that kind of stuff. And so now that he's revealed, like played the card, like, oh yeah, he could override that and give his buddies five-star reviews. It makes more sense that who's got that coveted classic award. I was reading a, a Wikipedia entry on Jan Wenner and <laughs> there was a- there was something where, you know, you talked about the Mick Jagger review where he he subbed out the four to a five star. Apparently, something about Hootie and Blowfish, too. The reviewer didn't really like the album that much. And he pulled the review and then gave it a higher star rating because he liked Hootie and the Blowfish. And the, the critic had a funny comeback. He said, oh, yeah, Jan likes anything that sells eight million copies. dovetails us nicely back to mtv so we can then get into the we have like 18 albums to talk about this month yeah but you know mtv the entire broadcast seemed to be bow at the feet of the queen taylor swift and the entire full three plus hours seemed to be this is just serving the queen Mm -hmm. you know she's got the biggest stadium tour going right now she got a major blockbuster film on the way she's got the nicks taylor's version cd coming out in a couple of months bow with the queen and give her as much screen time throughout the entire broadcast it really was i mean she really sort of anchored the entire broadcast because it was just sort of like the cutaway shots anytime somebody was presenting you could see her in the background i mean she was strategically positioned to the point where I just felt like, man, is she like the arbiter of all yeah. good taste? I mean, if she gets up and starts singing as like, oh, ooh, she's like the Simon Cowell. She likes it. <laughs> yeah. And the thing <laughs> is, that's true because her fan base is so, they've 
positioned her as a deity in another performance, she's dancing. They're going to go buy that record. So the right, thing is, right. just a cutaway shot probably sold a hundred thousand records. Jeez! So you really gotta, you really gotta, you know, sort of bow down to the queen there. It made me think about where society is right now. You know, because Beyonce and Taylor Swift, and I think there was a big thing USA Today just hired writers that are going to exclusively follow that beat. Like that's going to be their full time job is writing about wow. Taylor Swift. Yeah, and it made me think about where society is right now because Trump is a great celebrity. He is a magnificent celebrity, and therefore that's why people follow him and worship him. Biden is a great politician. He's not a celebrity, and that's why his approval ratings are so low. Look at what we were just saying about if Taylor or Beyonce don't approve it, does it really happen in pop culture? And it's the same thing in politics. Politics is being run by celebrities, and I would not be surprised that if someone did a poll saying, should Taylor Swift run for president? Mm-hmm. 90% of her fan base would say, oh my God, yes, because unaware of what a president does versus what a pop star does. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, I know. Think, you know, wrapping this thing up, I think what all this deep thought made me do was really appreciate the lane that we're taking here on Planet LP. And here are some really 18 amazing artists that are worth getting to know. They're not going to be on the cover of Rolling Stone, they're not going to be on MTV, but oh my God, I hope you really, really like them. Well, as we get started on this uh, rather extensive list of artists, I think we're going to start with somebody that we personally know, and that is D.W. Dunphy. So take it, Keith, about the new release by Orbis Max. So Orbis Max has been a band that's been kicking around since the 70s, and Dunphy joined it a while ago. So it's like a collective. They live all over the country. And we featured his song, Are You Okay, a couple of podcasts ago. And Mm -hmm. I really, really love this kind of harmony-driven song because anyone that's been diagnosed with depression or has had suicidal ideation knows that the words, Are You Okay, can actually change their life. You know, So I'm hoping that this song eventually takes root and kind of gets viral for all the good reasons. But now they have a full-blown self-titled record out. I really like the fact that he's done, he sent us a preview of the artwork, like gorgeous, gorgeous artwork, where it's like, oh, this is going to be a good CD to own. And I really like the harmonies and the really, you know, top tier musicianship throughout this record, you know, so it's the self-titled record by Orbis Max, and it's kind of got a timeless 70s, 60s sound to it. It does. Yeah. And I, and just to piggyback on what you said about DW, he's, he's definitely, one of the most talented multimedia artists that I know. He's got he's a sharp prose writer, a great music critic, musician, producer, songwriter, and a graphic artist because he did some of the artwork for this release. So how many musicians do you know have that kind of resume? We're going to get to a lot of name brand artists in this list and stuff. But the first two we're talking about are really cool new artists that are worth discovering. So I definitely think it's definitely worth checking it out, especially on streaming. And if you really like it, then go to Bandcamp where they sell their records. And it's a really fun, great, full-length listen. It is. And I I think that the first couple of songs off the record have a very throwback soulful sounds on many of the songs. There's a, I say it's kind of a a mid-Atlantic East Coast sound and a EW is right in the pocket. I'm going to feature a, a real quick snippet of the second track. It's called No Hero. Bad DW, yeah. pretty good stuff. Yeah I, yeah, I I think that he's kind of captured a bit of the zeitgeist there with the 
for these sociopaths that yeah. tend to pop up on social media. If you had said this band cut its teeth in the festival circuit in the 60s, and then this is a lost album from like their ascent into stadium stardom in the 70s, I would have totally bought it, you know, because that's yeah. what it sounds like. You know, when you hear like the keyboards and then the guitars and the harmonies, it's like, oh yeah, this thing's got a lot of soul, but got a lot of grit, but it's rock, but it's built for a big room, plays to a big room. So yeah, gotta love it. It's like a time yeah. capsule. Definitely a band effort. Uh, I know we've been sort of spotlighting D.W. Dunphy because we know him personally through Poptos, but Orbis Max is the album. Definitely get that on the either the streamers or order it from the band's Bandcamp page. Next up, a guy named Dolph Cheney. Somebody I've never heard of, but you have. Tell yes. us about him. So going from like, you know, stadium sized rockers, have you ever been where you walk into a, a club, like a rock club, and then a band is just there giving their freaking, you know, full body and soul into a performance. Then you buy their CD at the merch table, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That's kind of the vibe I get from Dolph Cheney. It's one of those things where he is just got musicianship through the roof, really great choruses, verses, plays guitar like a monster. But yeah, his voice, you know, you had said it kind of sounds like Ed Robertson and Joe Jackson. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That's totally it. You know, I got more of a Matthew Sweet vibe and like a little bit of Evan Dando, mm-hmm. you know, but this is definitely, you know, Mug and very, very meta on the cover art for Mug. You know, it's his smiling mug printed on a coffee mug as the cover art. Nothing else, <laughs> you know, but like if you're fans of Joe Jackson, XTC, early Billy Joel, Matthew Sweet, Barroom Rock, the 70s through the 90s, it's really, really a good record. I've heard only two songs, Mr. Eli and Murder Fish. And it was Mr. Eli that reminded me of uh, sort of the Ed Robinson vocal similarities. And I hope that Dolph Cheney doesn't take it the wrong way. But I think that's a high compliment. But yeah, this is the latest from Big Stir Records. And it's one of those we've talked about this where I know many ways I buy the label, you know, because they are really plugged into that 1970s power pop sound. And so it's one of those things where when they're a good curator, and they go out and find these artists and then bring them, you know, to their fan base. I'm like, okay, I'm going to pay attention to who they're signing because they put their heart and soul into this. And I know they're not going to put their money and their time behind something that's not absolutely fabulous. And so I've never been let down by Big Stir Records. And so we had Graham Parker, you know, with his Big Stir debut mm-hmm. last month that we talked about. And that Graham Parker record is getting great reviews across, you know, the board. And so yeah, this is the latest. So yeah, if you really like that cheap trick power pop sound, Dolph Cheney mug and is out right now or out soon. And then we're going to talk more about cheap trick in a little bit. Yeah, we are. But now we're going to go a little bit back in time with a classic artist, Marvin Gaye. Yes, Marvin Gaye is no longer among the living, but that doesn't stop his label or the label from getting another version of Let's Get It On, this time the 50th expanded version of the 50th year that it had come out. So if you haven't heard this song, I guess maybe you are in your own little silo or your own little lane, but it's so ubiquitous at this point that it's difficult to assess this record without feeling like, is there more that you can hear off this record that you haven't heard in the past, but yeah, I guess like, there is. Like imagine if we, you and I are talking on this podcast and then there's this awkward silence and then the opening cue from let's get it on comes on. Mm-hmm. It would take a dramatic turn. Everyone's going to be like, what the <laughs> heck is going on? You're right. You're because right. It, it's been so overplayed in movies and television. Like anytime that people like it, especially people that hate each other suddenly are about to make out, they always play Let's Get It On. It's so done that I can't stand it anymore. It's a great song, but it's so overused. So when the Let's Get It On album 50th expanded version came out, I was like, oh, I want to see what the rest of this album is like. And so they've expanded it out to two discs. The first disc really much sticks close to the, the regular album for most of it. But then they really expand out with all the other session takes. And so what we even saw with a couple months ago with the Brian May, Eddie Van Halen release, you know, Starfleet, those session takes often are the real gold in them, their hills. 
Let's get it on the album. The traditional album kind of sticks close to the title track. It's a bunch of sexy love jams that, you know, was cutely like, that's how they're going to market this record. Put on the long player when you got your lady in the house and, you know, you got the soundtrack for the next, you know, Mm -hmm. 26 minutes or whatever before you have to flip the side. It's one of those things where that's what it is, you know, so it all sticks close to that lane. But then when you get into the outtakes and you really hear how good those session musicians are and how loose Gay could feel when he's just kind of doing another take of the song or kind of letting himself riff or flow a little bit. Oh, my God, there was so much life and breath in these outtakes, these demos, that it was just fascinating to be a fly on the wall in the studio, having him hear this magic come together. So that's the reason to get the 50th anniversary of Let's Get It On. Yeah, and I would also tack on that for those who want to hear a less stereotypical Marvin Gaye, listen to Vulnerable, the 1973 vocal tracks. These these are ballads that Gaye sang, and it kind of positions his voice in a style to me that's that's very romantic. It's got kind of this 50s sheen to it. <laughs> As I said to you, yeah, it's far more romantic than, say, you sure loved a ball. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> But yeah, vulnerable was the was the surprise part of that package to me. The 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 entire album release, I thought, wow, I've never heard Marvin Gaye sound like this before. But he and you can hear him like talk about what he's going to do on the vocals sometimes before they start. You know, they actually the band kicks in and he starts singing. But he will say something to the producer and then and then off to the races they go. So yeah, uh, check that one out definitely. So I think we're going to go now to some. CDs and you got one that you said the LA Times just broke this huge story on Friday. What what was this about? Yeah, talk about a clickbait headline. Marin Morris is getting the hell out of country music. Quote, I've said everything I can say. Wow. It really is. You know, God, I love Marin Morris so much. You know, I discovered her through the high women with Amanda Shires and Brandy Mm -hmm. Carlisle, you know, so she's in that super group. And so I love how. You know, the high women came together to kind of protest what was happening in country music, you know, where certain stations actually have a policy that they cannot play a two women artists back to back. And there can only be so many women artists played per hour. Basically, it's they're going back to what we were talking with Jan Wenner. Mm-hmm. You have to play the white men most of the day. And so they right. were protesting that and, you know, kind of like country radio needs to change. And then also, you know, protesting what's happening with country radio and pop culture in the Los Angeles Times interview, where essentially what's happening is Marin Morris is leaving her country label and going to Columbia Records proper, not their country division, you know, basically saying, I'm going to continue my my career and not have to rely on country radio and not Hmm. have to rely on the CMAs, which is a bold, bold move. If they start banishing her from the airwaves, it's definitely going to affect her sales like it did with the Dixie Chicks back in the day with their George Bush controversy. I really loved what she said about, you know, how Jason Aldean's Try That in a Small Town, you know, went to number one based on really baiting the right, the the Mm -hmm. hard right with Mm -hmm. all of its race baiting. And they shot the video right where there was lynchings. Maren Morris said, people are streaming these songs out of spite. It's not out of true joy or love of the music. It's to own the lives. And that's not what music is intended for. Music is supposed to be the voice of the oppressed, the actual oppressed. And now it's being used as this really toxic weapon in the culture wars. Yeah. And so I love the fact that she's putting her money where her mouth is. So the bridge EP is two songs. One, the tree is produced by Greg Kirsten, who a lot of people know he produces a lot of the Foo Fighter records. And get out of get the hell out of here is produced by Jack Antonoff, huh. you know, from Bleachers, and you know, everyone knows him from his work, you know, with Taylor Swift. Right. She said the former is all about done filling a cup with a hole in the bottom. And the latter <laughs> is watered the garden, but forgot to fill the well. It's really about her saying, you know what? I'm out of here. And she even huh. says she still loves and is protective of the country music, you know, genre. But it's just too toxic for her. And so like Taylor Swift, she's going to go into the pop realm or the rock realm or the Americana realm, but just genres where she doesn't have to be reliant on the CMAs and country music radio to play her and to build her fan base. And so, you know, it's only out digitally right now. She's working with Antonoff on a full length album. But yeah, I love, love, love Maren Morris. I have all of her solo records now, and she's just an amazing artist and human being. 
one of the uh, biggest artists of, well, this year now is Olivia Rodrigo. And she has her sophomore album. And sometimes that comes with the dreaded sophomore slump. But is it? She deftly avoided the sophomore slump coming yeah. out with an album that's even bigger than her absolutely huge debut. And it is a lot of fun. You know, so she led this thing with Vampire and starts off kind of in the lane of driver's license, you know, mm-hmm. her emotional ballad. But then, oh, my God, when the band kicks in, it just takes it to a whole new level. And so I really loved her performance. She did a two songs on the MTV Video Music Awards. And she really is one of those. I'm wondering if she's going to be the last one of those queen of all media pop stars in the vein of Taylor Swift, because Taylor Swift appeals to the cool kids, the alternative kids, as well as the mainstreamers, Mm -hmm. and also has a multi-generational appeal. A lot of Rodrigo's influences are 90s alternative rock, you know, so that's going to play very well to Gen Xers. So between Gen Z, Millennials and Gen X, she's got a really solid fan base, as I say, like the cheerleaders to the goth kids. (laughs) Yeah. And it really is a good album to kick in if you like, you know, like open the gateway for then kids to discover Bikini Kill and Hole and Avril Lavigne, Liz Fair, Alanis Morissette, because that's what this album really embodies and she's got really really powerful songs tongue-in-cheek a little bit dark a little bit emotional a little bit cathartic and ragey and it's just it hits all the right notes we talked about rolling stone in the last segment she's on the cover of this upcoming edition as we're recording this of rolling stone so she's going to be on the cover they have labeled guts an instant classic they don't do the star system anymore they don't send different stars to them so i still get the printed magazine so (laughs) i'm looking through and it just Um, they just say you know instant classic and i'm like so that's five stars right so i have to translate it in my head they said guts was was that good Okay. She doesn't need any boost from us on name recognition, but as you're, as we kind of do appeal to a Gen X audience, you know, yeah, give her a shot. She's taking the breeders out on tour this fall. And she was talking about how much babes in Toyland has influenced her. And so the thing is, if you really connect with that sound of the nineties, it's a really, really rewarding album, really well worth the listen. And so that's kind of, kind of previews us to the next one, which came out a week later and might get lost in the shadow, and it really shouldn't. And this is Silence Between Songs by Madison Beer. I didn't have a lot of high hopes for it. As I as I searched around on the internet to find out, like, who is Madison Beer? And I was like, oh, great. She's a former YouTuber. This is going to be good. And then it did. Then it completely surprised me. I was like, oh, these are really good songs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of like say she splits the line between Olivia Rodrigo on the rock side, like, you know, the high angst and emotional side, and Ariana Grande, who just has a voice of the angels. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, beer like Justin Bieber was discovered on YouTube. She went viral and then turned it into a bankable career in both music, acting and modeling. And so she put out five singles before this album even came out. So I felt very safe in buying it on CD. And yeah, once again, this is her sophomore record. And man, this album has a vibe. When I had it on, you know, with my nice stereo system, it just filled the house. And they'd done a really smart move and just really putting her voice front and center. You know, she's got a really gorgeous, dreamy voice. And so when you put some good music on that, oh my God, it just fills the room. It's just luscious. If you really like luscious, gorgeous pop with a great vocal, Silence When Swing Songs is just a wonderful, wonderful record. Do you think that any journalist or any editor that was writing headlines at the time wrote this, Bieber discovers beer? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God, that'd be great. Well, it reminds me of the Onion headline when Ike Turner passed away before Tina Turner, and their headline was, Ike Turner beats Tina Turner to death. Oh, Jesus. So, oh, yeah. me, me laughing at that's going to get me deplatformed and canceled. You know, I shouldn't, I shouldn't laugh at anything. It was the onion. It was the onion. No, but the thing yes, is, yeah. it was funny because it made a statement. It was yeah. like you know, it was not as if they didn't have a history of domestic violence, and that's what the article was about. Yeah. Right, right, right. So, right. but back, back to you know, Madison Beer. This really fits into this nice little subculture of happening in pop right now, and it's led by, to me, in my opinion, Sky Ferreria. Ferreria. But she was another actress. She was in Baby Driver. She's in the current film Reptile. But she put out a really dark wave pop album masterpiece called Nighttime My Time in 2013, mm-hmm. and then 
she's been working on the follow-up ever since. So it's been 10 years now. So it's becoming wow. like this generation's Chinese democracy, you know, <laughs> or even the new uh, Cure album. I mean, yeah, Robert yeah. Smith has been saying the new Cure album is going to be coming any day now for five or six years. Ferraria, or let's call her Sky, is working wow. on masochism. You know, she's been announced it in 2015. It hasn't yet to come out, but it's a gorgeous, if you like dark, dark pop. Tuvalu is in the same thing, Charlie mm-hmm. XCX, but then Madison Beer and Olivia Rodrigo kind of fit nicely into this genre. All these albums are worth checking out, stream them. But then if you buy the Madison Beer record, you're also going to get what I love is a traditional jewel case with a really thick, gorgeous booklet of liner notes, lyrics, artwork, lots of pictures. It's like, oh, this is what it's nice when you actually have like a nice piece of product to kind of pour into while you're listening to the record. So Madison Beer, yeah, hits all the right notes. If I said the band title B-52s and singer Cindy Wilson and said, she's got a new solo album out, would you automatically think, oh, it probably sounds like a bit of an offshoot of a B-52s record or something like that since she was in the B-52s for so long? Well... You would be wrong, kids, because this was a genuine surprise. Thank you for introducing me to this record, Keith, because I put it on. I was like, this is Cindy Wilson? Wow, this is good. Yeah. Well, the thing is, you're right to suspect that because when Fred Schneider put out his first solo record, which had the single Monster, Monster, you know, Monster, and there's a monster in my pants. And it doesn't doesn't matter. That's either light of day. Yeah. Since Kate Pearson was on that record, it actually sounded so much like the B-52s that they put that single on their video compilation of greatest hits. B-52s put out all their video hits. They put Fred Schneider on there. The Cindy Wilson Realms is her second solo album, the second on Kill Rockstars, which that label is just really coming back. Kill Rockstars was the one of the kind of the labels like with Sub Pop in the 90s. Mm -hmm. It's putting out lots of great music right now. And so Change was her first solo album in 2017. Realms is out now. And it takes her signature voice and puts it in an entirely different universe. You know, it's like the Frasier to her cheers. You know, it reminds me a lot of Goldfrap and Tiny mm-hmm. Team Impala. You know, it's got some new wave stylings, but it's really just its own universe. And man, is it, it has a jam. It's incredibly danceable, not in a love shack way. It's it's got it's got like you said a very techno sound to it or just this dance vibe. But it, it situates her voice really well within that that genre and it works to great effect. I, I really enjoyed this record. I've been streaming it a couple of times. I think I'm going to, I'm going to buy the actual CD at yeah. some point because I'd rather yeah. hear it with the fuller sound than just the MP3. It reminds me of when you're in a really kind of funky boutique hotel in the lobby, mm-hmm. where the lobby is the scene. Like that's what it is. Like when I have it on, it just fills my room with so much color and energy that like the songs just seamlessly flow one to the next. And it's just a jam. So Highly recommend getting both Change and Realms on Kill Rockstars from Cindy Wilson. So we're going to spotlight another Wilson, unrelated. It's Stephen Wilson, who has a new record coming out, new album coming out on September 29th. It's called The Harmony Codex. We've talked about Stephen Wilson on this podcast a great many times. He is sort of the go-to remixer these days of classic albums. He is also the head of or leads the prog rock band Porcupine Tree, which had its first proper release around 27 years ago. And he has a pretty good solo career, too. I'm not going to say that he's a household name, but I've become a fan of his. And I think you have, too, Keith. Uh, We really like his, his music because he sort of follows in the footsteps of artists that we also admire, like Kate Bush or David Bowie, in that and even Peter Gabriel, in that they tend to change up their sound or experiment a lot in the studio with different sounds. And it works really well often. Sometimes it doesn't. Well, there is an EP of the Harmony Codex that has like three songs that you can listen to on the streamers right now. The uh, The first one that I heard was called Impossible Tightrope. Granted, now, Wilson comes out of the prog rock genre for the most part, but this thing is a total prog geek out. It's like almost 11 minutes long. It's on this weird musical journey. I don't even know what genres he's being influenced by. Maybe it's just him, 
but it felt a bit mechanical and a little sterile at times. He has expressed his prog rock roots on other records, like, for example, Hand Cannot Erase. You could hear, especially in the first song, nods to The Who, Pink Floyd, Rush, and Yes. But on this one, on Impossible Tightrope, at 10 minutes and 44 seconds, it's going to take a while to warm up to because it's just all these really weird styles coming at you at once. Economies of Scale, I think, is the single. Again, it feels a little sterile. There's a kind of modal keyboard quality that's going on there. If you like the Future Bites that came out, I think in 2020, this kind of feels a little bit like that. But the song that I put on the playlist was one he did with his sometimes co-vocalist, Nanette Tayeb. The song is called Rock Bottom, and it's probably the most accessible song because of Tayeb's voice. She has such a great voice. She's she's very popular in Israel, where she's from. She's more of a rock uh, vocalist, but when she's on a Stephen Wilson record, Boy, those two work well together. I, I, in a way, she's like Kate Bush to his Peter Gabriel. The, there's a really good uh, David Gilmore inspired lead break on this song as well. So, Rock Bottom is is that. So, I'm looking forward to the the entire release. It's it's gonna go in a different direction. And and Stephen Wilson had said that in in the press recently that he says, "Now this is not the Future Bites Part Two. This is a different yeah. album. I really tried to do something completely different." Yeah, because it's always something surprising from him because I got into him through some of his other projects. There was one mm-hmm. called No Man and one yeah. called Blackfield, you know, which were completely different than anything Porcupine Tree did and then also different than his solo records. And so I just like when he comes down the mountain with something new, you kind of have to expect, okay, we're going to go on a totally unique journey, nothing that, you know, kind of connects you to the past. And so I can't wait to kind of hear where it goes. You know, I saw on Amazon, it's only 11 bucks for the CD. So I got the mm-hmm. thing pre-ordered and yeah, for 11 bucks, we're going to go on a journey and I can't wait to see where it takes us. And he's done this other thing where if you get the expanded, he's he's asking artists to remix or reimagine the songs. One of the people he's asked to do it is Roland Orzabal from Tears for Fears, who he doesn't think, that is, Wilson doesn't think he's ever actually remixed anything, but he heard back what Roland came up with. He was like, oh, this is really good. So that's something yeah. to, if you really, really want to be a completist, that's something to uh, put on your on your wish list or on your board or in your queue there. Yeah, because it's nice because there is the Stephen Wilson remix on the tier, you know, the last box set from Tears for Fears, the Seeds of mm-hmm. Love, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's always fun to see them kind of exchange that. So can't wait to see where that one takes us. Yeah, let's let's leapfrog over my next one uh, into yours, which is K Flay. Oh my Flay. gosh. Yeah. So this one is just came out of the gates and just kicked the living crap out of me and and, and say that in the best way. Kay Flay has a new album out called Mono. You know, she's multi-platinum, two-time mm-hmm. graminated, you know, but yet she could probably still walk down the street without many people recognizing her, <laughs> you know, but man, Blood in the Cut from 2017's Everywhere is Somewhere is one of my top 10 songs of the century. So, wow. so if you've okay. never heard Blood in the Cut, go to YouTube and it'll just kick your ass. And so Mono marks the first album that she's released since completely and suddenly losing hearing in one ear. And she comes right out of the gate talking about that and her experience with the healthcare system, you know, kind of going through that. And so the 14 songs that follow, you know, probe the pain of loss and the power of transformation. And it is just a freaking white knuckle ride. Like she is one of the most creative forces in popular music right now. You know, she's got just serious level rap skills. She could sing. So just like Missy Elliott, she's a double threat. You know, she could (laughs) sing a big song. She could spit fire rap like nobody in the game. You know, so to me, it has all the energy of Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine, mm. then mixed with like Skylar Gray. Skylar Gray, who is a frequent Eminem collaborator, puts out really good solo albums, too. And so like, are you serious tackles, you know, what happened with her in the healthcare game? This album keeps getting better and better and better. It doesn't reach its peak until the very end. You know, so Chaos is Love is very intense and beautiful. It's like one of those, it just gets all your heartstrings going. But if you think it's a ballad, forget it. You know, so it's nice to see that you could actually have an emotionally resonant song that's also high energy. And then it goes into Yes, I'm Serious. Because remember, the kickoff of the title of this album is called Are You Serious? Mm -hmm. So Yes, I'm Serious is a callback to that opener. And to me, it has the best hip-hop rhymes I have heard in any song since The Machine by The Mad Rad, 
which is another great track worth checking out on streaming. But oh my God, yes, I'm serious. When you hear her lyrical dexterity and then the intensity of the lyrics and how fast she's delivering them to a great beat, it's just like this is to me where hip hop should be going in the future. Hmm. You know, because I looked at a lot of the auto tune crap that was on the MTV Video Music Awards. Yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah. literally T Pain was what, 20 years ago? And everyone is still doing that shtick. Auto tune, minimalist beats. To me, it's nothing exciting. And then when I listen to where K Flay is going, I'm like, ooh, this is where hip hop can really go. Halsey did something similar, you know, where she was a pop star and then she recruited Nine Inch Nails themselves, Trent Reznor mm-hmm. and Atticus Ross for her dark album a few years ago. But to me, that was, it was almost too much sound came out of that record and it was impenetrable. Mono, it to me is sonic ear candy. Plenty of room and breathing room in the mix for beats, vocals, bass, synths, raging guitars. Everything shines without muddying up the mix because we've been talking a lot about overproduced records mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. year. And this one just lets your speakers really do what they're intended to do. Man, it just pops, it crackles. Yeah, it's like cereal. Perfect soundtrack just to rock out when you want to rock out to it. I thought Jesse Wears That Feels Good was a lock for this year's album of the year. But now mm-hmm. K Flay Mono is really coming on strong. Uh oh. Uh oh, we got a contender for the top position. Yeah. Okay. So I'm gonna go with uh my my next pick is um a group called Best X and like ex boyfriend, ex-girlfriend, ex-lover, whatever. The album is with a smile. Now, Best X is really Mariel Loveland. She's a New York City-based indie pop. I guess artist, but her band is Best X. And and she said she's um, more excited than nervous about the release of this second album, which is coming out next month on October 6th. You can stream three songs right now on the, on the streamers, but I got a, an advance on the album, so I got to listen to the whole thing. She wrote most of these songs during the worst part of the pandemic where the world felt like it was falling apart. She said she felt like she aged a decade and three years since the world got upended by the pandemic. Um, The songs really do have kind of a lonely quality to them, but her pop sensibilities are really strong. So whatever sort of dark underbelly is there in the lyrics to me is tempered by this lightness of the pop melodies. So get this, if you like well-produced pop to counteract some of the explosive stuff, that's come to mark the age of Taylor and her scions. So yes, best X with a smile. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. She just has a lovely voice. You know, she uses the band name best X, but it's really her and whoever Mm -hmm. she decides to collaborate with. And yeah, lovely, just completely engaging, charming. And I just like loved entering her world for the course of the album. And so it's definitely rewarding you know, a rewarding listen worth buying on CD. So I'm going to definitely check it out on CD when it comes out. So we move now to one of my uh, high school girlfriends. <laughs> <laughs> for us all, for us all. Yeah. Christy Hine and the Pretenders. Oh man. So they, they have a brand new album out now. Okay. You have a bit of an advantage over me, Keith. I've only heard three songs, but the album came out. Was it Friday? Did it come out? Yeah. It came out Friday. I bought it on CD. And so it's one of those things where, I'm going to start off with a lot of CDs that I bought because the nice thing about buying a record is you commit to it. It's like a little Mm -hmm. bit, you know, I'm taking your girlfriend and I'm marrying her, you know, so essentially made the commitment. So if I was just streaming this, I would probably after the first pass, never listen to it again. Like, okay, you know, a bunch of middle of the road ballads, you know, nothing really jumping out of me, you know, at me like a next single, like back in the chain gang, stuff like that. But You know, it's one of those things where I think this one needs time for the petals to blossom because it's definitely a mid-tempo record. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of immediate singles, like you're not going to get back on the chain gang or anything like that. But this is her second one kind of collaborating with the people she collaborated on with 2020's Hate for Sale. And I really have a renewed interest in Chrissy Hind after watching the Steve Jones drama that played out on Hulu. This is called Pistol. Chrissy Hind was a major character in that. And it was fascinating just to see the dawn of the pretenders from a dramatic point of view. And so I've been on a pretenders kick. I really love Chrissy Hind. And so it's going to be fun to see where this one kind of takes me, but 
because so much of the other songs or albums that we're talking about this month have such high energy right out of the gate. This one is the plant the seed in the dirt and let's see what grows because hmm. it's definitely a, a, a quieter vibe to it. Yeah. The title is called Relentless. I had trouble with the three songs. I mean, not complete trouble, but I had some difficulty connecting with all three songs. I, I feel like the one that's the most rocking of the three was called Let the Sun Come In. I think that's that's the single. So I've heard that one. I feel like Hind is holding back a little bit or holding the band back because I, I felt like, boy, this could really rock if they if they really, really wanted it to. This thing could have just been out of the gate good. There's another single called, uh, not single, but one on the streamer is called I Think About You Daily, kind of song that reminds me of if we were to go back in time to the earliest incarnation of the Pretenders that had James Honeyman Scott on guitar, Pete Farndon on bass, and Martin Chambers on the drums. If she brought this into them, they would have just laughed at her and said, uh, next, you got anything else? And then the last song I heard was A Love, which is a mid-tempo song. And you said that there's a lot of mid-tempo stuff on the other uh, tracks. I just didn't feel like it was, there was a lot, there was not a lot of spice in that stew. It was lacking there. So overall, I think if you're a completist, uh, when it comes to Pretenders, this album will fit nicely in your record collection. You may find yourself going back to those first three albums of the pretenders to remember why this yeah. band was such a big noise back in the like, day. Yeah. If you really love the pretenders, you're going to like the record because it's just on par and Chrissy just has a great voice to this day, but it's one of those things where I'm going to report back on this one in a couple months, you know, cause I okay. think this is one that needs room to grow because yeah, there was so much high energy music coming out this month that, you know, this kind of more slow go might be a really good one to get me through the winter. Yes. The pretenders and relentless. So I'm going to let that one grow on me. Just like Keith we will revisit that maybe a couple podcasts down the road. And unfortunately, what happens when Keith and I get together is we, yeah. we tend to over-prepare for yeah. our podcast, and we have more music to go. So I think what we're going to do, Keith, part one, this is part one, yeah. we'll pick up part two for next week. So um, let's preview that, because we're going to yes. be talking about The Coral has two new records out, which mm-hmm. are absolutely amazing, Nation of Language, Robin Taylor Zander, who is the son of Robin Zander of Cheap Trick. Andy Taylor of Duran Duran, and much more. Come on back. We got so many more great records to talk about. Absolutely. And thank you so much for listening. As always, back soon with part two right here on the Planet LP Podcast. Podcast.